0: We really have so much to give, and there are so many problems in our world that neurotypical people have never been able to solve. So maybe it's time to bring in new perspective.
1: Beyond Ourselves is a podcast where I, Taylor Camille, share stories by those living a life fully and beyond any stigma or perceived limitations a health condition may have on their day-to-day lives. For season one of this series, we are highlighting women of color, and more often, Black women, whose health needs are frequently looked over and stories seldom shared. Today, we are speaking with librarian and autism advocate Lauren Melissa. If you're listening in April, April is Autism Acceptance Month, so I reached out to Lauren after connecting with her on Instagram to discuss the intersectionality of race and disability, which lends itself to the themes of late diagnosis and gives us a better picture of life as an autistic woman of color. Here's Lauren. Lauren. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm Lauren Melissa,
0: also known as Aspionel on Instagram. I currently reside in New York City. I'm a librarian and I've been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder since I was 23 years old. That's about six years ago. So I was diagnosed as an adult and I'm kind of a bit of a ways out of that by this point. Thanks so much for having me on. I can't wait to talk about autism.
1: Thank you. Through my just readings and sifting through all the mounds of information that there is on autism, there are some words that as a person outside of the community, I was just trying to grasp and define. And I wanted to know if you could define some of those words before we get into it. Yeah, of course. I'll do my best to give my personal definition of those things.
0: There are maybe others whose definition might differ from mine, but I can give a general idea. Just tell me the word.
1: Um, So let's just start with stimming.
0: Sure. So stimming is short for self-stimulating behaviors, and it is often perceived in a negative sense. A lot of autistic people are told to stop stimming from a young age, either explicitly or by people teasing them for it. When most people think of stimming, they might imagine a person rocking back and forth or flapping their arms, Mm -hmm. but truly stimming can take form in multiple ways, not just physically, but also orally and orally. So for example, some of my stems are physical things like I tap my chest. I also dance a lot to music in a very go with the flow style that some would find maybe a little strange, but I find very liberating. Mm -hmm. And I also have a lot of oral stems like constantly drinking hot water or chewing gum. These behaviors are either something that I do to soothe myself when I'm overstimulated, stressed out socially overloaded i will often use these behaviors to re-regulate my mind and my Mm -hmm. senses and come back to a place of calm but i also use stimming as a way to express joy and delight
1: that's very interesting because i feel like you have to be very in tune with yourself especially you who got such a late diagnosis to be able to pinpoint those things that you do that you could easily kind of mask or not really be in tune with? Well, actually, stimming behaviors are very
0: difficult to mask. It takes a lot of effort to stop doing them for many autistics. And it can actually lead to meltdowns and severe sensory overload if we don't get to practice our stimming, our stimming behaviors, our stems. And So that's why it's very detrimental to an autistic if we are told to stop, if we are bullied into stopping, because it takes so much effort to stop it, that it really takes away from our ability to, in a sense, function in a healthy way
1: throughout our daily lives. Yeah, it's pivotal. It's like a piece of yourself. Exactly. So another word that's come up is neurodivergent. How would you explain that? Neurodivergent
0: and neurodiversity is a pretty broad movement. It is used often within the autism community, but it also includes other conditions, disorders, however you would want to define the different challenges that people face neurologically. So autism spectrum disorder is what brings me into the neurodivergent community, but another person, say, could have ADHD, and they also have a place within the neurodiverse community, and it's basically a way of uniting people who have similar challenges and also similar strengths into a space where we can advocate for ourselves
1: and for our needs. Got it. And a hashtag I've been seeing a lot is actually autistic. Where did that come from? What does it represent? I do not know who uh, birthed the
0: hashtag actually autistic hashtag, but I've been using it for a very long time myself. (laughs) It comes from the idea that autistic people themselves should be able to have the primary voice in what autistics need or want from the neurotypical world. We want to advocate for ourselves, so when we say actually autistic, hashtag actually autistic, we're pointing out that our opinion or the voice that's in a specific post or tweet is coming from an actually autistic person. I do want to mention that there has been some pushback recently to the actually autistic, hashtag within the autism community, Mm -hmm. because there is a growing understanding that many autistic voices are being preferred over others, namely white voices, Mm -hmm. or male voices, or just in general people who are verbal. And so there has also been another hashtag created called hashtag all autistics. Both though are still considered relatively appropriate to use on mm-hmm. social media. Got it.
1: So textbook definition of autism, how how would you describe, I guess as a librarian, <laughs> I'm waiting for <laughs> you to give us the glossary here. <laughs>
0: Well, sadly, I don't have the textbook in front of me, but autism spectrum disorder is a, it's become like an umbrella diagnosis for a few disorders. One of which is autism. Another was previously known in the United States as Asperger's syndrome, as far as I've seen it defined in the United States. It is autism, Asperger's syndrome, pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified. Mm -hmm. And I believe I might be missing a few others, like I said, because I don't have the textbook in front of me. But these are different developmental disorders or developmental conditions that affect people in their day-to-day life. And this is a huge spectrum of traits and symptoms that are included within autism spectrum disorder. There are some ideas that someone could be high functioning or low functioning autistic, but I would say that most hashtag actually autistic individuals actively resist functioning labels that are still used by many psychiatrists because there is no line, good side, bad side, high functioning side, low-functioning side of autism. Everyone's traits and support needs are different, but I will say that I do believe that there are autistic people who require a greater amount of supports in day-to-day tasks and day-to-day life than others.
1: Right. Yeah, I saw recently on social, you curated what the spectrum looks like to others with autism, and it seemed often it doesn't reflect the low to the high functioning range model that I feel like a lot of people lean into. So for you, what would be your, your model of what the spectrum looks like? I do really enjoy the color wheel, mm-hmm.
0: where there are different areas around a circle that describe the different traits of autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. And then we have our own like intensity of color within each of those individual traits. Yeah. Because I feel like that wheel really just shows where our supports are needed for each individual autistic, as well as where each autistic individual strengths and talents lie.
1: Yeah. So you talked briefly about when you got diagnosed, but could you elaborate on that story, that timeline, and when you kind of put it all together? So I always knew that I was a quirky child.
0: My mom knew I was quirky. Everybody thought I was very eccentric and I was very fun loving. But after early childhood, where eccentricities are usually more embraced, once I started going into puberty and middle school, high school, my differences in speaking interacting and expressing myself were very quickly shunned. So I had been bullied from an early age on just being different Mm -hmm. from others. And because of that, I always felt like something was wrong with me or that I was broken because no matter how hard I tried, even when I was trying my absolute hardest, I could go to school one day and then wake up the next and none of my friends would be talking to me because I had made some kind of mistake and I didn't know what mistake I had made. So I just went through life kind of feeling like something was wrong. However, I did succeed a lot in academics. So my teachers and educators who would maybe have noticed my difficulties and challenges more readily if I had been struggling in classes, these teachers, they kind of just think they're lucky stars, I guess, that I <laughs> turn in all my work and I would never disrupt and, you know, all those things. I love to follow the rules. Yeah. So they, I don't think they really wanted to mess with that. They were very busy. And then I went to college and I thought things would be different because I was going to be studying what I wanted to study and I would have more freedom with finding people that had similar interests as myself. However, I still encountered the same level of bullying and ostracization that I had experienced in high school. So when I graduated from college, I very much still had this idea that I was broken. When I went into the workplace, I thought everyone would be professional. I'll be doing better now, but I still encountered that same issue with my colleagues. I would do things where I thought I was being helpful and they would perceive it as hurtful. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I would try to be kind to someone and they would say that I behaved arrogantly. So I just had no idea what was going on. But finally, after a particularly rough encounter with a colleague, I just got inspired to look up Asperger's syndrome. I had heard about it before and I had looked it up in high school. But when I looked up in high school at that time, there was even less information then about women and girls on the spectrum than there is now. Autism is very much perceived as a boy's developmental disorder, but in truth, women just have different traits and symptoms. So when I had that experience with my colleague, I was inspired to look up not just Asperger's syndrome, but to look up Asperger's syndrome in women. Mm -hmm. And I came across Rudy Simone's traits and symptoms list for women. And it was like, I was reading an entire 50 point list that described me completely. Wow. And then it was quickly thereafter that I learned about Asperger's no longer being a diagnosis and autism spectrum disorder being the diagnosis. I studied up like crazy on every single book and article that I could find about female autism. It became my special interest for sure. And then I pursued a professional diagnosis, which took me a while to find a psychiatrist who is familiar with women on the spectrum. Adults, you know, adult women on the spectrum. Yeah. Once I found a psychiatrist, I. Paid a hefty dollar to go see her and was diagnosed.
1: Wow. And did you feel liberated? Did you feel like it all came together? How did you feel once you received the official diagnosis?
0: I felt a massive amount of relief. I cried. Definitely, I cried. I think my psychiatrist might have cried too because she could tell how important it was to me when I found out. But I cried like tears of joy, just finally knowing that I wasn't broken, that I was neurodivergent and that I had skills and talents as well as challenges, just like anybody else. Mine just looked different from a neurotypical person's. Yeah. I was also really happy because at that time I had been given multiple diagnoses that did not really describe my true experience. Mm -hmm. For example, I had been diagnosed with fibromyalgia and once I received my autism diagnosis, I began to realize that I actually had sensory processing disorder and a whole nother list of different symptoms and that led to pain and other sensory experiences that allowed me to say goodbye to the fibromyalgia diagnosis, which is a diagnosis of exclusion. A diagnosis of exclusion means that you didn't have anything else. So this is what we gave you as the name for what you have. Well, I
1: did have something else. I had
0: a developmental disorder.
1: How was it when you shared the news with your friends or your family? Were they receptive or did they grow distant? So... Any
0: friends and family that I have all know that I am very quirky, so when I approached a lot of them, actually before my diagnosis, I would always bring the symptoms and traits list that I had found, like I said, by Rudy Simone, and I would have them read it silently to themselves, and then I would ask them if it sounded like me, and almost everybody said this is you 100%, like you're all of these things. And so most of my friends and many of my family members definitely saw it. I would say my mom had the most resistance actually to me being possibly autistic at that time. She just said, no, no, there's nothing different about you. No, no, no. You know, I think it was more like her wanting, you know, I'm her daughter and she has a different relationship to me in terms of wanting me to be happy and what her perception of happy would look like for her child. However, when I received the diagnosis officially and I told my mom, she completely agreed, she's like, I knew it. Like I've known forever. I just didn't want to admit it. And so yeah, everybody pretty much said, yeah, definitely you have it. I would say the big difference in response was what I should then do. Now that I have this diagnosis, you know, a different reaction from people, some people saying like, oh, great, you can address your needs and get more support. And some people saying things like thinking that they were being kind, this doesn't change anything about you. I'm not going to treat you any differently. And in my mind, I'm like, please do treat me differently because you've been driving me crazy and you've been making me have meltdowns and you've been doing all these things that have been very detrimental to my mental health. Um, so can we talk this out? But they would resist that mm. because of this mindset of no, 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 you're still the same person. And I wanted them to know that, I mean, yes, I still had the same interests and same passions, But I was changing, and it was
1: going to be a change for the better, yeah. Don't resist the change. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever explore with your mom why she resisted, like or what kind of pushed her away from? embracing it she did talk to me about
0: it a few times and i think a big part of it was that she didn't want me to be treated differently from other children Mm. she didn't want me to lose out on any opportunities right but at the same time i didn't get to experience school and friendships in a way that I could have had I been receiving supports in those areas.
1: Right. Something more tailored to you and your needs than like a blanketed everyone treatment. Yes. You talk about how you've seen race play a role in disability and its lack of diagnosis there as well.
0: Yeah, I can speak to that. I am myself a person of color and as a woman I have definitely experienced diagnosis and intervention and things like that differently because of my race and because of my gender. So I was diagnosed later I believe because I am a girl and the girl's symptoms are less recognized but i also believe that many people of color do not receive autism diagnoses because educators and adults tend to view children of color in school buildings as more likely to be quote unquote problem children Mm -hmm. and that is just like an a part of being a person of color there's a lot of bias there and a lot of racism and prejudice so i think that also prevents many young children of color from receiving a diagnosis and instead getting mislabeled as very aggressive and without a real explanation or a lot of diving into the reasons why and how we can support children of color in this area. I also think that it would be Unwise of me not to mention that many people of color, including myself, grow up in lower socioeconomic backgrounds and a diagnosis of autism is very expensive. Mm -hmm. And getting supports for it is very expensive and that's not necessarily accessible to us. I grew up below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. And even if my mom had wanted to look into me having autism, I don't think that she would have really been able to gain access to the best resources for me. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I will say that just being a person of color in a world that is very often either microaggressing or full out being racist, Mm -hmm. I do walk with a very uncomfortable level of stress in social situations of having to navigate racial lines. And that additional stress leaves me very open to overload and to meltdowns. And there was even a time when I did have a meltdown that was triggered. The final trigger for it was a racial slur that was set in my presence. Mm-hmm. And when I had the meltdown, I needed a lot of support at that time, autistically. But most people, instead of realizing what was going on, chose to believe that I was just this black girl having too big of a reaction to a small little bit of racism, Mm -hmm. which was terrible and just only compounded the meltdown further. Yeah. So I would say that there is intersectionality between race and disability on a lot of levels. And I'm sure this probably looks different for every autistic person of color
1: yeah how have you embraced your differences and tried to share that positivity with others so my autism
0: diagnosis has been very empowering for me Mm -hmm. before i had to live under the glare of others and people telling me that i was wrong and that i was broken or just acting towards me in a way that represented those thoughts and once i became aware and was able to internalize that I am autistic, I was able and have been able to really just view myself in a completely different light. I think also gaining self-sufficiency and the ability to set boundaries that I really need in order to be my best self has also helped me to see who my best self is. Mm-hmm. I can also see all the different gifts and blessings that autism has given me. Mm-hmm. The out-of-the-box perspective, the ability to sense things that others can't, the ability to hyper-focus on things that I find especially interesting. The fact that lying and dishonesty is something that is extremely difficult for me to grasp. And so I really value integrity Mm -hmm. and authenticity. And these are valuable traits. Not every autistic person has every single trait I just listed. I'm talking about myself, Mm -hmm. but I see these things and I just know that being autistic, it's not bad. I contribute so much to my friendships, my family, my workplaces, and to my own daily mental health and life. I just feel like autism is so much more than the stereotype or the way that perhaps Organizations like Autism Speaks presents autistic people as like a tragedy. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that's tragic about that is that people are actually saying that about me and about people like me. We really have so much to give and there are so many problems in our world that neurotypical people have never been able to solve. So
1: maybe it's time to bring in new perspective. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) In that vein, what do you think companies and just I guess population as a whole, can do to better cater to people on the spectrum? So this is a pretty complex question that you've stated
0: because every autistic person is different. And a lot of the time when people talk about autistics in the workplace, there tends to be this perception of like the savant, the Mm. super genius, Mm. the mathematician, the engineer, the computer scientist. And that's a very limited perspective of autism. Mm. So I think that businesses, if they really want to be more inclusive of autistic people, they need to actually get to understand what autism is and what autism looks like and incorporate basic things like mentorships re-evaluating the environments of their office and making sure that they're sensorily safe, Mm -hmm. looking into working remotely as options for autistic people who are experiencing burnout but still want to work. Mm -hmm. The whole gamut of different supports that offices can and should honestly put in place because it's not just autistic people that would benefit from these changes, everyone benefits from accessibility. Yeah. So there's no reason not to do it other than just being fine to stick with the
1: status quo. Mm -hmm. April is Autism Acceptance Month, and there's been discourse about noting the difference between acceptance and awareness. Do you have any thoughts on that and why it's important? Yes,
0: I do. Um, I think that awareness is a necessary step. Mm -hmm. You have to be aware of something in order to accept it. And I do think that the vast majority of people in the United States are aware that autism is this thing that people are talking about. And that does not mean that people have an understanding of autism, that they even want to accept it into their lives, into the world around them. For example, you can be aware that people have children with autism, Mm -hmm. but I think many parents would say it'd be very hard for them to accept initially. That their own child had it. And mm-hmm. I saw that with my mom and talking about the workplace. They're aware that there could be autistic people around them in the workplace, but do they accept them? Do they make those changes to accept them and to actually include them? And I think the last step there is embracing. Mm-hmm.
1: embracing autistic people. It's so funny how words are really important, how it can just change how we interact with each other. Is there a message, a quote or phrase that you often lean into or lead your life by? I think that depends on the hour.
0: <laughs> Sometimes it can be, go take a nap. <laughs> but um, I would say that a big, a big message that I tell myself that I speak into my life, I'd say that there are two. One is be aware of your own locus of control Mm -hmm. that helps me to stay grounded and to not get too overwhelmed by all the things that I can't control the things that I can't change, be that systemically or personally, but to just live day by day in the present about what I can change or what change I can try to bolster that day. Another one, is never being afraid of who I am and never apologizing for who I am, which is not to say that I don't apologize for doing things that I do wrong or (laughs) if I've hurt someone, but not apologizing for my existence and instead just owning it and embracing myself. I am more than enough and I have more than enough to contribute to the people around me. Yeah. I definitely think that brings me a lot of peace
1: Continuing our conversation on autism, next week on Beyond Ourselves, we go across the pond for a conversation with Tyler Grant of Adulting Autistic. Being autistic does not mean that you can't strive for more, and then striving for more doesn't mean that you want to distance yourself from your diagnosis. It just means that you want to live a life that you want and not settle just because you have this diagnosis. Beyond Ourselves is an original series produced and hosted by me, Taylor Camille. A variety of the series artwork shared here and on our Instagram at Beyond Ourselves are created by Carmen Johns and Sierra Hood. My hope is that these listenings have left you with a warm heart and an even cooler mind. I hope you are left feeling able to seek peace in the spaces and places you may find yourself in. If you're interested in being on the pod or have any compelling leads, please shoot us an email at info and subscribe and share if you haven't already.